Well, I was thinking we would be able to move on from the Iraq situation, but apparently not. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The president of the United States will be speaking uh, to the nation here shortly. I will try to bring that audio to you live here on the Eric Erickson Show. We'll also be taking your phone calls. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let us uh, dive deep right now into what happened. Let me give you the play-by-play of what happened first. Um, The United States obviously last week killed Iran's top man, uh, General Qasim uh, Soleimani. I shouldn't say top man. Number two man. Essentially, you know, there have been hard ways to describe him. Some have said, in fact, one of the examples I used is it would be like taking out the American vice president. Others have said the secretary of defense. Uh, His job technically was like that of secretary of defense in Iraq, but he was actually a, a much more monumental figure in Iraq than that. The Ayatollah prior to his death had called Soleimani a living martyr. He was a national hero to those who supported the regime. More importantly, though, he was essentially the adopted son of the Ayatollah, making him the 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 second most powerful person in Iraq. In fact, so powerful he could threaten the Iranian president and get his way. And he was taken out five days ago, along with uh, four or five other generals and military leaders related to Iran. So five days later, the Iranians decide to strike back. They launched 15 missiles at the United States positions in Iraq, in Erbil, and in uh, Al-Assad Air Base. Now, you need to understand uh, Al-Assad Air Base. Al-Assad Air Base is not your standard air base. Um, If you're in the Atlanta area, you are undoubtedly familiar with Dobbins Air Force Base. If you're in middle Georgia, you in fact, I, I know there are people listening uh, at Robbins Air Force Base right now on uh, WMAC in Macon. Uh, if you're thinking of Robbins Air Force Base or even Fort Stewart or uh, any of the other military installations in Georgia, you are uh, you're not going to really have a good sense of the size of um, Al um Al-Assad Air Base. It is ginormous. It is a city. Um, Perhaps the closest we can get is, um, oh, what is it? Um, uh, Over in Columbus. Uh, What's the, the military installation? Fort Benning. Fort Benning. Fort Benning is a massive complex in Columbus. It is sprawling. It covers um, thousands and thousands of acres. A buddy of mine actually does maintenance on their gym equipment over there. They have multiple gyms. He says it takes him 45 minutes uh, to get through to the back end of uh, Fort Benning to be able to get to one of the gyms there from the gate he's got to get into. It's so big. Uh, And even Fort Benning there in, uh, in Columbus is not quite accurate because... Al-Assad Air Base is so much bigger even than that. It is a city, essentially, a fortified city in which there is an an air base, there are army barracks, it's massive. And the Iranians decided to fire into those locations. The Iranians decided to uh, go after American positions in Erbil, in Al-Assad Air Base, And we now know that no Americans were killed. 
there are conflicting reports. I do understand this. There are reports that some Iraqis were killed, but there are conflicting reports because uh, later reports say we're having a hard time determining if any Iraqis were actually killed in the attack. Uh, right now, it appears that there is nothing. Um, there is there's there's uh, no impact other than structural damage. Here's the other thing. There were 15 missiles fired from Iran. Four of them broke up in flight. A fifth landed in Erbil uh, without exploding. Now, there are two ways you can look at this. One, a, a, a buddy of mine posits that if this was just going to be symbolic, then they were not going to use their, their cutting, bleeding-edge missile technology. And that's a fair statement. That That is fair. Um, and it does appear now, in fact, there is increasing uh, belief within the White House and the Pentagon this morning that what Iran did was totally symbolic. They knew it was going to be symbolic, and they intentionally decided to avoid actually hitting American forces and positions because they did not want to escalate this. Think about that. Iran wanted a, a show of force. They wanted a display. But they did not actually want to kill Americans. They, they just wanted it for show. Uh, and then they wanted to saber rattle. Let me play you some audio from overnight here for CNN. Significant messaging that the Ira- Iranians are also sending. And what we've been seeing here over the past couple of days in the aftermath of the killing of uh, Qasem Soleimani has been big outpouring of grief, but also calls for revenge. And I was actually at one of the main funeral processions for uh, Soleimani just yesterday. And... There were people holding placards, Chris, that had two words written on them, hard and revenge. And guess what the operation is called? According to the Revolutionary Guard tonight, launching those uh, ballistic missiles, they call it Operation Hard Revenge. They are saying they are warning the U.S. against striking back. They say that will lead to more retaliation. They're warning other nations uh, here in the vicinity that house U.S. bases not to let America use their bases to launch attacks against Iran. Otherwise, those countries will become targets as well. So certainly a very tense situation. It does seem as though, and this is something we've heard from Iranian officials, it's something very important. The Iranians don't want this to escalate any further, is what they've been telling me through various channels. This is something that the Americans have been pointing out, that the Iranians do not want an escalation. Listen, they can't afford an escalation of the situation the Iranians cannot afford it largely because um, they don't have the military capacity to confront us directly. They've got to do asymmetric warfare. It appears they targeted us symbolically. It appears they wanted a show of force, but there's more to it. There are a couple of other audio sound bites you need in order for me to uh, set the stage for you here. Here's Fox News. Things in Baghdad are quite calm. Most of the missiles, according to reports, landed at an Iraqi military base in western Iraq that houses U.S. troops. Some missiles also targeting a base in Erbil where there are American forces stationed. What is different about tonight than previous rocket attacks that we've seen towards places like the Green Zone in Baghdad earlier this week is that tonight these were missiles fired from Iranian territory into Iraq, according to Iranian state television, the Ayatollah himself was actually the one uh, 
ordering the, the strikes. And moving forward, the big question now is how does the administration respond? According to the White House, we are hearing that he is meeting with his national security team. There are still damage assessments underway at the uh, al-Assad Air Base in western Iraq to see whether or not there are any American casualties. Reports indicate that there are Iraqi casualties. And remember, uh, the Iraqis with the Americans have been fighting the Islamic State. There's more than 5,000 American troops here. Just a little bit on how we got to where we are at today. We saw just last month uh, the the death of an American contractor and four U.S. service members who were injured at, Amer at an Iraqi base that houses American troops here in Iraq. In response, President Trump struck the group Qatayb Hezbollah, which is an Iranian-backed Iraqi Shia militia inside uh, the borders of Iraq. Then in response, we saw the militia just off to my left in Baghdad's green zone uh, ordering the storming of the U.S. embassy. And then early Friday, President Trump ordering that drone strike to take out Qasem Soleimani, Iran's top military leader outside of Baghdad's international airport. Everyone has been speculating about what the Iranians will do. They have called for the blood of Americans. We heard that confirmation today from uh, Iranian President Hassan Rouhani and the Ayatollah Khamenei. Moving forward, we are not sure whether or not this attack is over or whether it has just begun. Yeah, well, now we know that was it. Um, now, how other media covered it, you, you need to hear MSNBC and what MSNBC and NBC decided to do. NBC, by the way, ran the Soleimani funeral live uh, so that people could watch it. And you know and I know there were Americans on the left because Orange Man Bad who decided that they would watch and mourn with the Iranian Soleimani. You, you, you know there are progressives who do this, who they blame America first. It's, it's all our fault. Uh, orange man bad. Therefore, this guy must be good. They see the world in black and white terms while thinking that only conservatives see the world in black and white terms. And they were upset and sad and, and mournful of the loss of the Iranian general. I mean, hell, we saw this com coming out on social media. So here's what MSNBC did. And then we'll, we'll dive into the symbolism here so you understand it. MSNBC ran Iranian news service propaganda on the death toll last night. ...have been launched uh, from Iran. The IRGC was saying that Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of this country, was in the control center coordinating these attacks. Uh, this is uh, um, this bit I'm, I'm not sure about, but the Iran state media is claiming that 30 U.S. soldiers have been killed in this attack. Now, this is not confirmed. This is just coming from Iranian media. But we have just uh, stepped over the precipice, Chris. Uh, we have entered a very unpredictable time. We have to see what the response is going to be from the United States. But this is undoubtedly the most serious moment between Iran and America in the last 40 years. Uh, now, that was Ali al Ruzi, who is the uh, NBC correspondent in Tehran. Let me read you some of his tweets from last night. Uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps reporting that a second wave of missiles has been launched. Iranian uh, Republican Guard Corps saying Ayatollah Khamenei is in control center coordinating attacks. Iranian Air Force has been deployed. Iran is warning that if there's retaliation for the two waves of attacks, they launched uh, their third wave will destroy Dubai and Haifa. Haifa is in Israel. Dubai is where I grew up in the United Arab Emirates. This was Iranian propaganda. Turns out no Americans were killed. And yet MSNBC decided to run the Iranian propaganda uh, that uh, dozens of Americans were killed in the attack. Now, where do we go with all of this? Well, let me explain to you. 
I have mentioned this before. It, it bears repeating that symbolism is very important in Middle Eastern culture. It is important in every culture, but at a, at a different level in the Middle East. Iran needed to launch missiles from Iran because the United States took credit immediately for killing General Suleiman. Listen, had the United States not taken immediate credit, then Iran would not have felt the need to launch ballistic missiles from Iran. They would have allowed Hezbollah or one of the Iranian militias to respond to the Americans while pretending it wasn't them if we were pretending it wasn't us. But because we were very straightforward with it being us, Iran needed to respond from itself. So instead of launching rocket attacks inside Iraq, it decided to launch ballistic missiles from inside Iran uh, to go through Iranian airspace into Iraq, hitting American positions. It turns out they fired 15 missiles. Uh, they hit Al-Assad Air Base and they hit Erbil. One hit Erbil. Um, the question now is to whether or not it actually intended to hit Erbil. It was one missile. It uh, broke up on impact. It did not explode. Then what the Iranians did is they sent out pictures of both the rocket of the missile attacks and of the explosions and damage done. It turns out the pictures Iran was sending out were actually pictures from strikes several years ago against ISIS positions. The explosions and the pictures that the Iranians were showing were explosions uh, in Syria of ISIS positions, and there were some uh, circulated position, circulated pictures showing explosions in Israel from rocket attacks conducted by Hezbollah. So all of this was symbolic. It was designed to placate the people inside Iran. It was not designed to kill us. And that is how the White House is interpreting it now, that this was the Iranians having a show of force for the Iranian people, not a real show of force. Whether they use their junk missiles or they use their good stuff, four of them broke apart in air, a fifth one impacted without exploding. The rest hit the Al-Assad Air Base, killed no one, and it's over. And Iran made a strong verbal show of force that they would expand into the attacks. Here's what the Americans know now. Uh, assuming the Iranians did not use their junk, and the reason I say that is because uh, the, Iran has a limited supply of ballistic missiles, and they're all fairly new. They don't have a bunch of old junk. Uh, their missile program is actually fairly new. And they, they use their medium-range ballistic missiles to do it, and they fell apart in air. Uh, this suggests that Iran actually isn't as capable as it is says it is. But that's not the only thing that happened last night. The Iranians may have accidentally shot down a Ukrainian Boeing 737, and at the Iranian nuclear facility in northern Iran, there was an earthquake after the attacks, a very bad week for Iran. Their top general gets killed. Four of their 15 missiles fall apart in flight. The fifth one breaks up on impact without exploding. The rest of them, the other 10 of them, hit an American air base, do no major damage. They have an earthquake at their nuclear reactor facility, and they seem to have accidentally shot down a Ukrainian jet, which we'll discuss when we come back and take your phone calls. It is Eric Erickson here, and uh, we are taking your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number here at the studio. Operators are standing by. I, I, let, let's let's dwell for a moment on the Ukrainian uh, plane. It was a 737-800, which is a new plane. Uh, the Ukrainians and the Iranians are saying that it uh, was mechanical error 
that caused the plane to crash. Uh, let me just tell you, I'm not an aviation expert, but I know people who are. And they tell me that a, a mechanical failure that would generate a fireball and the immediate abrupt end of communications uh, it would be extraordinarily rare. And it would be highly unusual for a nation to suspend all air service to another uh, nation because of a mechanical failure. And yet uh, the plane appears to have turned into a fireball at 8,000 feet, immediate abrupt ending of communications, and Ukraine has stopped all air service to Iran. Now, let me add another data point on that. The Iranians have said they will not hand over the black box. Y'all, the Iranians shot down the Ukrainian Boeing 737-800. This is not the 737 MAX. This is the 737-800, the safest commercial jet on the planet. It was a new jet. It was trained pilots. It got to 8,000 feet and exploded. That's not a mechanical problem. If it was an actual mechanical problem on the plane, the Ukrainians would not have suspended all air service to Iran, and the Iranians would be willing to hand over the black box. This was a shot-down plane. Now, uh, here's the other thing, and I want to spend some time on this when we come back. Uh, first of all, it's worth commending Joe Biden. Joe Biden, one of the few Democrats yesterday to actually hold his tongue, he tweeted out that he was not going to issue a comment because there was not enough known. He and his wife would just pray for our troops in harm's way. He, that was a mature response. Elizabeth Warren was at a rally when news broke and decided to blast the president on this. How many pundits have you heard on TV in the last several days say that the president wants war with Iran? How many people have rushed out and condemned the president and praised Soleimani? He was a war hero, the commander of Iran's feared Quds Force. Qasem Soleimani was no ordinary general. The U.S. officially classified him as a terrorist, but in Iran, he was a national hero. He's regarded as personally incredibly brave. The troops love him. I was trying to think of somebody, and I was thinking of de Gaulle. A revered figure in Iran and some other places in the Middle East. Smart, charismatic, ruthless, strategic, and bold. His power made Iranians proud. But even many of Soleimani's enemies admitted he was a military genius. Qasem Soleimani was an evil genius. Soleimani was in charge of spreading Iranian influence around the world, and he was extremely good at it. He is the, think of the French Foreign Legion, you know, if you will. By killing Qasem Soleimani, the U.S. has stripped Iran of an inspirational military leader. The crowds are massive and emotional. There are many tears here. Thousands of mourners on the streets in Iran. Symbolic caskets aloft, weeping and chanting, I am Soleimani. The supreme leader of Iran weeping and praying over a coffin draped in the Iraqi flag. It's difficult to convey how revered he is. There was talk in Iran Soleimani might be a future president or perhaps even a supreme leader. Th that was how the media handled Soleimani. 
And then they all said that the president was going to escalate the situation and the president was going to lead to people's deaths. The president was going to cause a war. The president was going to war. And you know how the media is playing this today, that it was Iran that gave the president an off-ramp. It was Iran that was the mature leader. It was Iran that behaved responsibly. They can't give him a win. We need to discuss the political implications of this when we come back. Yes, you can be live on the program. Phone lines are open. Operators are standing by. You don't even have to buy gold. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Now, I, I, I'm, I need to replug the pound cake recipe I'll be sending out this afternoon if you want on the email list uh, for recipes. Again, I don't sell the email list. You don't get spam. It's just a recipe list. Uh, text the word recipe to the number 33777. Uh, if you've already done it, you don't need to do it again. Um, we will be sending that. Okay. Let us delve into some of the response to the president here. And uh, part of the deep frustration I have on the issue of what happened overnight, for five days, the media has been telling us that the president was going to get us into a war. It was a war that no one wanted, but it was going to be war nonetheless. And then yesterday, it's as if the media had forgotten the last 40 years. And part of it is true. I, 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 I mention this all the time. And there's a reason I mention it all the time. It's because you, you do need to understand the situation with our American media. Much of the media these days comes from left-wing think tanks, left-wing blogs, and left-wing websites. And that listen, I'm not making that up. It's, it's just true. And of those who have not, they tend to lean to the left, and they tend to associate with people on the left, and they tend to live in a bubble of the left. The result of that is, is that uh, the people they reach out to, the people they find knowledgeable, the people they find experts are people on the left. So people on the left are very committed to the fact that the president is an irresponsible lunatic, that the president is impulsive and not rational, that the president does not listen to his military leaders and has surrounded himself with yes men who do not want to try to restrain the president. And that America has no guiding strategy. That because the president lacks impulse control, the president goes from crisis to crisis and there isn't an overarching plan. To be fair to some degree, that is true. And the president admits that he's very impulsive in the way he acts. But the president does claim to and I think does see a larger picture than the media gives him credit for, and the media can't give him credit for it because the people the media talks to uh, are people on the left who can't give the president credit. The net result of all of this is a couple of things that we're hearing about this. One, the president had no larger strategy killing Soleimani, and we can't he can't trust the intelligence. It's actually kind of striking to see some people in the media now questioning the intelligence of the president and, and questioning what's happening and questioning whether or not it's all on the up and up. John Kerry himself came out 
and said, you know, sometimes the intelligence gets it wrong. I thought we were supposed to believe the intelligence agencies. I thought the intelligence agencies always got it right. Here's John Kerry. I think Americans need to see what that intelligence is. I think we've been through wars where intelligence was not there, it was faked. Uh, I think we have a president suddenly who has been attacking the intelligence community for several years now. Now, all of a sudden, he's making a proffer about what the intelligence is without showing people. So I hope the appropriate people in Congress will make their judgments, and I wait to hear from that. I'm not. Yes, so the we can't believe the intelligence now? The, they've been attacking the president for not believing the intelligence. There's another issue that, that we're talking that we're seeing here in addition to the impulsiveness and can we believe the intelligence and the, the Trump lies. So maybe he's lying about the intelligence. Maybe the intelligence is wrong. Our Obama partisans who still work within the intelligence community are telling us that he's wrong, telling us that he's overstated it. They, these are the people they talk to. They don't want to talk to anyone who is sympathetic to the president, who believes the president is actually a rational human being. They don't want to do that. But there's the other issue. They have to make Iran a nation that believes its purpose is to bring about the apocalypse so Muhammad returns with the Mahdi. They have to make Iran the rational player. So what you're hearing in the media is that it was Iran that gave an off-ramp to the president. It was Iran that gave the president an opportunity to de-escalate. It was the president who caused this by killing Soleimani. It was the president who escalated the situation. It was the president who is to blame for this. There are those in the media right now None of them are cheering the fact that uh, none of them are are upset about no American deaths. Let me be clear here. I'm not saying that. I realize how the the left-wing apparatus out there wants to twist your words here. No one is upset in the United States that, uh, that troops didn't get killed. Everyone is very happy that all of our troops are safe. Everyone is very happy that there was no loss of life. But you know and I know, and everyone else knows, that if American soldiers had been killed last night, the media would be blaming the president, not the Iranians. The media would use the death of American soldiers to say it was all the president's fault for escalating the situation and that it was predictable. And they would be wondering, why did they not fortify positions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there would be some legitimate questions to ask. But by and large, the media would pin the blame on the president and not on the Iranians for what happened. You know that, and I know that. Thankfully, no Americans lost their lives, and there are conflicting reports on whether or not Iraqis lost their lives. The, the, the most recent reports are suggesting there was no loss of life at all. But they can't give the president a win. The president beat Iran last night. The president actually did win last night. The Iranians gave a symbolic show of force that was designed to placate elements within Iran. In that symbolism, they revealed that their missile program is decrepit. Four of them broke apart in mid-flight or broke during mid-flight. 
they caused no loss of life. Five of their generals, including their top man, are dead, and they're scrambling. Now, we do need to be cautious here. The president beat the Iranians last night. The media is not going to tell you that. The American media is, is full of people who think orange man bad. Trump derangement syndrome has completely infected the media. Uh, they, they can't give him credit for the economy. It's all Barack Obama's credit. They can't give him credit for moving the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem and having no outbreak of violence. They certainly cannot give him credit for causing a de-escalation in the Middle East with Iran by taking out their top guy. They're not going to give him credit for any of these things. They're going to try to play up everything. But in the meantime, for now, for now, so far, the president has beat the Iranians. They've taken out their strategic thinker. The president took out their major military figure. The president took out the right-hand man of the Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader of Iran. And the Iranian response was functionally impotent. But, yeah, there, there's a but here. We need to discuss this. But Yasser Ali is a freelance reporter, does a lot of work for the Huffington Post. He is Iranian, and he put up a compelling series of tweets last night. Uh, he's not alone in this. There are some strategic analysts out there also uh, saying this today, that this was clearly symbolic inside Iran. The Iranian media was reporting that there is a big death toll. The Iranian media is reporting that Americans died and there was massive property damage, that this was an effective response. The Iranian media is reporting the supreme leader, the Ayatollah Khamenei, personally oversaw the strike. They're going to retaliate for real. I realize the talking point today is that this is a de-escalation Perhaps they really are de-escalating. Per- perhaps we'll be fine. Perhaps nothing will happen. Perhaps this was it. It was all a show of force, and and they don't want it, and we don't want it, and it's not going to happen. By the way, this is a completely different analysis from 24 hours ago. 24 hours ago, we're in war. Oh, my gosh, Donald Trump has gotten us into war. Oh, no. And today it's, oh, it looks like they're de-escalating. It looks like they've pr- provided the president an offer. It looks like there's, we're, we're going to do nothing. It looks like they're going to do nothing. It looks like this is the end of it. We're We're done. Wash our hands of it. The reality is what's probably going to happen, and nobody wants to talk about it today. I will. The reality is that Iran has a history of waiting several months and then acting. They waited five days. They launched 15 missiles. It now appears that they intentionally made sure that no Americans were touched. Five of their missiles broke. One of them on impact didn't explode. This was symbolic. We took credit for Soleimani. They needed to take credit to respond. They needed to launch from inside Iran. They needed to show they were tough. They needed to show that they meant business. But they also needed to show that they weren't going to kill Americans and escalate the situation even further. But they still want to kill Americans. Iran has been chanting death to America for 40 years. Iran has been calling for the annihilation of Israel for 40 years. Iran has systematically planned terrorist attacks, car bombings, and the like against uh, foreign diplomats for 40 years. They're not going to stop. The scorpion is not going to change its behavior after 40 years. 
Iran's behavior is to operate as a terrorist regime. But Iran knows it cannot confront us militarily on the battlefield. Iran has been touting its military and missile capabilities and so launched its missiles and capabilities and proved that they weren't all that. But their PR spin machine was that they were. Their PR spin machine was that they were capable. Their PR spin machine was that they somehow had the capacity to launch missiles. And they barely succeeded. What Iran is bad at doing is direct military confrontation. What they're really good at doing is asymmetric warfare. And they won't do it themselves because, you know, Iran can now say that it had its own response. Iran itself launched its response. But Iran's going to want Hezbollah to launch its response because General Soleimani was beloved by Hezbollah, so they're going to want payback, and Iran's going to orchestrate it for them. Iraqi militias funded by the Shiite regime in in Iran, they're going to want their bite at the apple. Uh, Other terror cells around the world, they're, they're going to want their chance. Iran's going to coordinate them all. And in a month or two, something's probably going to happen. Now, I I say this because Iran has a pattern and practice of doing this. Iran has repeatedly over the years, when it has faced repercussions from foreign uh, agents, has waited a couple of months and then launched a car bomb, taken out a diplomat. They're going to try to do this. I I hate to be the pessimist this morning. Everyone's rah, rah, Iran de-escalated. Let's not give the president any credit for this. Let's give it all to Iran. They're not going to do it. They've decided this is symbolic. This is it. They're never going to do anything again. We believe everything the, the Iranians say. This is it. No, never trust the Iranians. Never ever trust the Ayatollah. But, you know, there's one other thing that stands out in my mind about this that's deeply frustrating to me as, as a student of history. I, I mentioned earlier uh, in the show the the number of left-wingers in the media who rely on a left-wing bubble, and they have no sense of history because none of them even got into the media until they were in their 20s or 30s after either Bush v. Kerry or, or Obama versus McCain, and history began for them then. Everything that happened before then is completely new. This is why they can read the New York Times and the 1619 Project and say, oh my gosh, it's true. America really was founded in racism in 1619. Wait a second. The country... I thought it was 1776. No, no, 1619. The New York Times said so. I've never studied history. I don't know. I just say what the New York Times says. Well, what's so shocking about this lack of history, this lack of sense is for 40 years, Iran has been chanting death to America. For 40 years, Iran has been burning American flags in the streets. For 40 years, um, uh, Iranians by gunpoint have been dragging other Iranians from their homes to chant in the streets and protest the United States. For 40 years, Iran has been building effigies of the presidents of the United States and setting them afire in the streets of Tehran. For 40 years, the Iranians have been planning terrorist attacks. For 40 years, the Iranians have said they were going to wipe out Israel. For 40 years, the Iranians have said they're going to launch terrorist attacks on American soil. For 40 years, the Iranians have said that other Middle Eastern countries were going to be its targets. For 40 years, Iran has been doing all of these things. They haven't changed in 40 years. And yet yesterday, when the Iranian rhetoric heated up again, death to America, we're going to launch attacks on America. We're going to take out Dubai and Haifa and Riyadh. 
We're going to launch a war of blood against America. We will spill the blood of American soldiers. We will come for American citizens. No one is safe. When they launched this rhetoric, the media was in complete freakout mode. Oh my gosh, Donald Trump has led us to war. <gasps> Donald Trump did this. No. That's what the Iranians have been saying for 40 freaking years, people. None of this has changed. But yesterday, if you listen to the American media establishment, it was all new. It was all fresh. They had never heard it before. It had never happened in the past. History is new again to the people in the press. And a lot of this you need to understand. It's not just that history just began for them. They were inspired to get into reporting because of Obama or because of Al Gore losing to, to George W. Bush. They're, they're very, very left, but they're progressives. And progressives don't need to worry about history because there's an arc of history and it bends towards them. They don't have to worry about what came before. That's why they're so good at having history repeat itself. But also, they can't give Donald Trump credit for anything. They institutionally cannot because to do so would help his reelection chances. And so everything you hear in most media outlets outside of Fox now is designed to criticize the president or at least deprive him of any credit for doing something responsible, brave, daring, bold, or in American interest. And we're going to put up with this until he beats them in November. One of the more striking things to happen last night on social media was the disinformation campaign. Uh, welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. There were actually Hollywood uh, celebrities and whatnot last night circulating Iranian propaganda on death totals, blaming the president for the deaths of American troops that actually hadn't died. Uh, there were reporters circulating things. Uh, there, there were people taking Iranian propaganda at face value. Uh, you know, one of the more useful bits of Twitter, though, last night were the people who, when Iran started sending out the images of the attacks— they were Google searching the pictures, knowing the Iranian propaganda machine uh, works in overtime on these things. And people were saying, wait a second, that's not an attack of Iranian of an Iranian ballistic missile to the U.S. That's a rocket attack on ISIS last year by Iranian militias pulling up the exact same picture from The Guardian from two years ago. Or wait a second, that's not an explosion at Al-Assad Air Base. That's an explosion in Gaza between the Israelis and the Palestinians and people being able to match every single one of the pictures. Every single one of the pictures was matched to something that happened a while back. This is how Iranian propaganda works. You, you do have to remember here that so much of what the Iranians did yesterday was about the Iranian people. It wasn't about the world. The Iranian Ayatollah needed to show the Iranian people that even without Soleimani, he's in charge. Because, again, the Ayatollah has called Soleimani a living martyr. Everyone knew Soleimani was a big deal in Iran. People named their children after him. He complained prior to his death that he couldn't walk down the streets of Tehran or his hometown anymore because he could never get anywhere because everyone wanted to come see him. He was he was a national hero for people who supported the regime. Now, there are a lot of people who didn't like him. And, you know, 55 people died during his, his funeral march yesterday. It's amazing. This guy has the ability to kill people even at his funeral. 
my guess is that those 55 people who died were not accidentally run over in a stampede, but they were the ones who were cheering and celebrating uh, in the streets and refused to be quiet about it. There were a lot of Iranians who hated the guy. Uh, you, now, you wouldn't know that a lot from the American media. The American media is, is totally in the tank on Iranian propaganda right now. But Soleimani really was a big deal in, in Iran, and he's dead. And the Ayatollah needed to show he was in charge. And so what did he do? He has the press say that he killed Americans. He has the press say that he launched the missiles. He has the press say that he's in charge. He's coordinating. He's in the control room. He's in the command center. Because the Ayatollah's got to be able to show people that He's in command that it wasn't Suleimani who was the power behind the throne, that Suleimani was just one of his henchmen. It's not true, mind you. It, it actually isn't true. Increasingly, Suleimani was calling the shots uh, for the Ayatollah. He had totally bought into the revolution, and the Ayatollah trusted him. He was his right-hand man, and it was a big deal. And the Ayatollah's got to show people he's still in charge, that, that people shouldn't challenge him, then shouldn't challenge the regime inside Iran. All of this PR propaganda effort had everything to do with the Iranian people and very little to do with international people. That will come, I'm afraid. I'm afraid it will come. And what we can be sure of is that in the meantime, the president has beaten Iran and the media cannot stand to give him credit, will not give him credit, will make it all about something bad. I don't even need to read a script for this. Uh, Quip is my sponsor this week for the podcast, and I don't need to read a, a script because I'm a user and I've been a longtime user of Quip. I love Quip. If you don't know what Quip is, it is an uh, electric toothbrush. It only takes just a AAA battery, and they send you the AAA battery, so you don't even have to get a AAA battery. Every three months on a subscription, you can get a new brush head to keep your brush head up to date. It pulses every 30 seconds, so you get an even clean for two minutes in your mouth. It turns itself off. It's just so well designed, and it's very reasonably priced compared to a lot of toothbrushes out there on the market that compete with it. You can go to getquip.com slash Eric right now. You'll even get your first brush head refill pack for free. So you get your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Eric. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Eric. Get in the healthy habit of brushing your teeth the way your dentist wants. Make it easy by getting a Quip. Quip electric toothbrushes. My wife uses it. I use it. My kids use it. It really is that good. You will like it in your family, and you will make sure you get a great clean. Join 3 million healthy mouths by getting Quip today for just $25 at getquip.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Across the state of Georgia, the phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877 877- 97 Eric that's 8779737425 at the the end or the the bottom of the hour uh, Cynthia Loomis is going to join me she is running for the United States Senate uh, not here in Georgia actually but Wyoming uh, and a good conservative asked if she could come on the program and I'm happy to have her introduce her to a Georgia audience uh, she's been a member of Congress uh, great great person um, I'm, I'm excited to talk to her particularly given the the uh, Iran situation 
and the energy situation in this country, the effects on oil prices. Uh, her Wyoming has played a big role in energy price stabilization in this country. We'll get to that. Uh, we will get back to the Iran situation. The president, just as a programming note to local stations, the president of the United States is expected to address the nation at 11 o'clock in uh, this morning. I suspect if it goes according to plan, the president will be talking before I'm back on air at the top of the hour break at 11. But we will carry the president's speech here. Uh, so if you can't carry it, if he starts early or not, when we come back in the 11 o'clock hour, I'll make sure that we are into the president's speech, uh, airing it here on the Eric Erickson Show. Uh, in the meantime, we'll take your phone calls as well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to begin this hour, though, stepping away from the situation abroad and the situation in Iraq and Iran. We will get back to that. But there's a Georgia story in this show still being a a very Georgia-focused show. We need to talk about this because the dynamic is changing. There is an audit that has come out about the film tax credit in the state of Georgia. And it's bad. It actually is bad. Let me. This is from James Salzer in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Let me read you part of this. A new state audit says weak controls over Georgia's politically popular but expensive film tax credit program have allowed some companies to receive credits they didn't earn. While the state has granted billions in credits... It does not have an adequate system of controls to prevent the improper granting of credits, auditors wrote. Despite granting more credits than any other state, Georgia requires companies to provide less documentation than any of the 31 other states with a film tax incentive. Among other things, auditors found millions of dollars in ineligible expenditures by film companies that weren't disallowed by the state for credits, including payments to workers or contractors for work performed outside Georgia. The way the state audits such projects gives companies an incentive to pad their numbers with ineligible expenses, the report said. Deficiencies in the credits administrative controls and the significant financial benefit provided by the credit created an environment ideal for fraud, Auditors wrote, the audit comes at a time when some lawmakers are thinking that they need to scale it back. Now, let me put this in perspective for you. The tax credit is an estimated $870 million. The second highest tax credit for film in the states, in the entire United States, there are 32 states with a film tax credit. The second highest is California. Let me put it in perspective for you. Georgia's film tax credit is $870 million. California's film tax credit is $330 million. Georgia's film tax credit is more than double California's film tax credit. Louisiana is number three in the nation, and Louisiana has a $100 million tax credit. Georgia's film tax credit is almost nine times more than Louisiana's, and at its rate of growth, it will be three times larger than California's next year. That's astonishing. 
George has grown the film industry. It gives a 30% tax credit. $4 billion in tax breaks have been doled out in Georgia since the beginning of the film tax credit. TV and movies are eligible. 80% of the credits are sold by film companies that pay little in Georgia taxes to those who do. So let's put that in another perspective. Georgia does three things that no other state does when it comes to doling out the film tax credit. First, it has no cap. Georgia does not cap the amount of the film tax credit. It's 30% of a film. So, for instance, if a film company spends uh, $3,333,333 in Georgia, it meets all the necessary state criteria, it gets a 30% tax credit worth a million dollars. Then Georgia's film tax credit does something else unique. It allows those companies to sell the film tax credit. So let's let's take think of major major Georgia Corporation. Major Georgia Corporation owes the state of Georgia a million dollars in income taxes. What major corporation can do is it can go to, let's just say in this hypothetical, it, it can go to Disney and say, Disney, I would like to buy your million-dollar film tax credit from you for $750,000. Disney's not going to use it. Why is Disney not going to use it? Because Disney's not a Georgia company, so Disney doesn't actually owe income ta- corporate income tax in Georgia. Disney doesn't owe a tax bill in the state of Georgia because Disney's not a Georgia corporation. So Disney says, well, hell, we're not going to use it. So, yeah, here, we'll sell it to you for three-quarters of a million dollars. So the company that owes Georgia a million dollars instead pays Disney $750,000 and then owes the state of Georgia zero. The state of Georgia is not making any money on it. And that's one of the many reasons. There are lots of reasons, but that's one of the many reasons that even though Georgia is doing exceedingly well right now economically, it actually has stagnant revenue. Because companies in the state of Georgia are buying people's film tax credits and using them to offset their income taxes. Now, what's so striking in all of this, there, there are a num- number of things that are really striking here. One of the, the, the most is that, again, 80% of the companies who have the film tax credit don't use the film tax credit. They, they become a long-term debt for the state because they don't have to be used right away. The audit said $1.1 billion in credits generated through 2016 had not been claimed as of March of 2019. The credits will be used by a person or company that bought them, which will then impact state revenue. Now, Governor Deal refused to allow any reform of this, and there are a couple of proposals for reform on this. There's a growing consensus that there does need to be some reform in Georgia, and there are two positions to take. One of them is to cap the film tax credit. We are, again, by the end of next year, by the end of this year, actually, I'm sorry, we are in 2020 now, aren't we? So by the end of 2020, Georgia's film tax credit will be three times larger than the second largest. That's California. If you cap it right now at $870 million, still a lot, still higher than it probably needs to be. But if you cap it at $870 million, then you're still going to outcompete everyone else. You're still going to have a generous tax credit. 
and the film industry is still going to come. The other proposal is to just not have these companies uh, sell the tax credit. They've got to use it themselves. Disney can hang on to it, but Disney's going to have to use it. That would incentivize Disney moving more of its operations into Georgia. Now, a buddy of mine is listening. He texts. He says, I'm, I'm confused. Why, why is Disney getting a, a tax credit? Uh, if, 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 why, if Disney owes no tax in Georgia, how do they have a tax credit to sell? That is actually a great question. So Disney performs a movie in Georgia. Disney would technically have to do what with that? Disney would have to pay, uh, profits on part of the movie that is filmed in Georgia. Disney would have to pay sales tax in Georgia. Disney's got to pay employment tax in Georgia. Disney's got to do all those things for what it filmed in Georgia. But because Disney's not a Georgia corporation, Disney gets 30% of the money that it spent in Georgia. 30% of its film budget goes to a tax credit for Disney. But Disney's earnings in Georgia, let's say it, it, it let, let's just use the, the Avengers Endgame. The amount of tax incurred in Georgia for Disney, let's say, is $100,000. But Disney spent $3 million in the state of Georgia. And again, I'm trying to make the number simple because I'm a lawyer. I'm not a mathematician. So Disney owes $100,000 in taxes in Georgia for the revenue generated by the film in Georgia or, or, or the work done in Georgia that Disney did. It owes Georgia $100,000. But Disney spent $3 million total in Georgia for the production of Avengers Endgame. It's actually way higher than that, but again, I'm a lawyer. Well, Disney gets a tax credit based on the amount it spent, not on the amount of taxes it owes. So because Disney spent $3 million in Georgia, Disney gets a tax credit of a $1 million. Even though the taxes that Disney technically only owes the state is, is $100,000 for, for revenue and whatnot generated in Georgia. So Disney now has a million-dollar tax credit. It deducts the $100,000 that it would owe Georgia for taxes incurred in the state of Georgia. So it's now got a $900,000 tax credit, and it can hang on to that $900,000 tax credit indefinitely. So now... They come back for the next, uh, what's going to be the next Avengers movie? Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange comes back. They film it at the Pinewood Studio here uh, south of the airport near Atlanta that Chick-fil-A owns. It's no longer Pinewood. But Disney, Marvel, they're still making all their movies there. So it comes back. It spends another $3 million. It gets another million-dollar tax credit. It incurs another $100,000 tax bill in Georgia, so it's still got $900,000 once it's offset with its credit. It still has $900,000 of that tax credit. Well, now Disney has two $900,000 tax credits from filming two movies in Georgia after it's paid the tax generated by revenue in Georgia. So now Disney has $1.8 million in tax credits in the state of Georgia that Disney never has to use. And the state cannot expire. So Disney's hanging on to $1.8 million in tax credits. So you know what happens? Is a Georgia company that actually is domiciled in Georgia. That's a technical legal term. By being domiciled in Georgia, it means they have to pay corporate income tax in Georgia. Because they're headquartered in Georgia. So Home Depot now is headquartered in Georgia. It's a Georgia corporation. So Home Depot owes 
$2 million to the state of Georgia in taxes. So what does Home Depot do? It it goes to Disney and says, hey, Disney, you've got $1.8 million in tax credits to the state of Georgia. Let me buy that $1.8 million tax credit for a million dollars. So you get a million dollars cash from me and let me have your $1.8 million tax credit. And Disney says, okay. So Disney gets a million dollars from Home Depot. Home Depot takes the $1.8 million tax credit, gives that to the state of Georgia and the extra $200,000. What is Home Depot actually out of pocket? Instead of being out of pocket $2 million, it's now out of pocket just $1.2 million. It has saved itself $800,000 by buying Disney's tax credit and giving it back to the state, plus an additional $200,000 for the taxes owed. Yeah, You see, this is, this is the point here. This is the point. You get a tax credit. You get a tax credit for the work you've done. You get 30% of whatever you've contributed to the Georgia economy in producing your movie or TV show. 30% of that total gives you a tax credit. That's the way it works. So if you if you produce a movie in Georgia and that movie you is 10 million dollars you spend 10 million dollars in the state of Georgia and again it's one of the things the audit shows is there's very little documentation that you have to do minimal documentation in fact so minimal that the auditors found Georgia's giving film industry tax credits for work not even done in Georgia So you spend $10 million on your movie in Georgia. Georgia gives you a $3 million tax credit on a tax bill that you never have to pay because you're not a Georgia corporation to begin with. And so what does the Hollywood film industry do? They sell the tax credit to a Georgia company. So they're making money. The Georgia company is saving money. And the taxpayers in Georgia are left without any money to fund roads, bridges, schools, hospitals, uh, poverty care, prisons, you name it. It has undoubtedly moved a lot of the film industry into Georgia. But what good is it to bring a film industry into Georgia if we now have an audit and we now have two economic reports showing that it's actually not making up enough money into the Georgia economy to offset what Georgia's losing in taxes. The, the theory on these tax credits is that you're going to be able to generate enough economic revenue that you're going to offset the credit you're giving to these companies. But we now have two economic reports that have come out and said, that's not actually true. We're actually losing money as a state on the tax credit. We're, we're not actually benefiting the Georgia economy. In fact, if anything, the Georgia economy is suffering from the tax credits. That's actually it. All right. I hope that explains it. We'll take your phone calls if you have questions. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I will be sending out the pound cake recipe in just a little while. You can text the word recipe to 33777. Uh, you know, that. It, also, interestingly enough, it, it's kind of funny because I see as people are texting that coming through. Uh, I can see who's listening to the program. Uh, I get little notifications. Oh, you got a you got someone subscribing down in Macon. Oh, somebody from Dalton. A lot of you people in Dalton are on my recipe list right now. Um, thank you. So you. Just text text 
recipe to 33777, and you'll get on the list. I'll get you the pound cake recipe this afternoon. Uh, at the top of the hour, the president of the United States is going to address the nation. Uh, it appears now it is going to be a statement, not a press conference. He himself may change that. Uh, I suspect many stations are going to carry it live out of the gate, but it, oftentimes this president's held up by a few minutes. We will cover it here on the program as well. Uh, when we come back at the top of the hour, we'll run the president's um address live from Washington, D.C. at the top of the hour. Uh, Cynthia Loomis, a uh, former congresswoman from Wyoming, is going to be joining me at the bottom of the hour. I- I'm getting text messages from friends who are listening around the state right now and from out of state who are listening about the Georgia tax credit, and everybody's head is kind of exploding as I've explained this to you. And people are saying, are, are-, are you for real in how this tax credit's given? I am for real in this. If you spend $10 million in Georgia— you get a you get a thirty percent of what you've spent becomes a tax credit for you. So just let's do three million, um, and that three million dollar tax credit, if you're not actually domiciled in Georgia as the film company, you don't have to pay a whole lot of it because you haven't generated massive taxes in Georgia. So you sell the tax credit to Georgia companies so that they don't have to give the money to the state. It is a huge subsidy by the state for corporations in the state. Now, has it has the film industry created jobs in Georgia? Undoubtedly so. Undoubtedly so. And if the film tax credit went away, undoubtedly a lot of the film business would go away. But surely there is a way to balance this so that Georgia taxpayers are not subsidizing uh, the the film industry. And I say subsidizing because Kennesaw State University has a great business school and Georgia Tech also has a great business school and they've both been analyzing the film tax credit. We know for certain the Kennesaw State report shows that uh, the film tax credit does not generate enough of an economic impact in the state to offset the $870 million. In fact, we give the film industry $870 million, and the economic impact in the state appears to only be about $340 million on the high end. In other words, they have generated $340 million in in uh, taxable revenue to the state, and we're giving them $870 million. That's actually a fiscally irresponsible deal. Georgia Tech has not publicly released its study. What I am being told by people who have have advanced knowledge of it is that it's going to show a bigger economic impact from the film industry, but also not the massive economic impact uh, equal to the film tax credit. So the taxpayers of Georgia are actually losing money on this because the overall economic impact of the film industry in Georgia, according to these studies, is going to be shown to be less than the tax credit that the film industry is getting, which explains why when Georgia has the lowest unemployment it's ever had, the highest productivity rate it's ever had, and a massive number of Fortune 500 companies coming into the state, the state of Georgia still has stagnant tax revenue. It is me. It is Eric Erickson. The full number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Reminder, at the top of the hour, uh, the President of the United States is going to address the nation about the situation from Iraq last night, uh, the Iranian situation, and obviously any next steps that may be happening 
uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Allied powers Boris Johnson has come out today and uh, strongly condemned the Iranians and Soleimani, saying that um, British troops died at his hands. So he uh, is backing up the president of the United States on that. Uh, other Western allies as well, uh, Angela Merkel and the president, have apparently spoken on the phone. Uh, but uh, right now, I, I do want to talk about that and a whole lot of other stuff uh, with Congresswoman Cynthia Loomis, who is running for the U.S. Senate out of Wyoming. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Eric. So I want to talk about your campaign first, uh, running for the Senate. And for folks, because I know my listeners would ask, yes, you are a House Freedom Caucus member. So that means you would be a great conservative in the Senate. Well, I was one of the original members of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, was at the time the only woman who was a member of the House Freedom Caucus uh, and had the opportunity to work with uh, some of the key players, of course, who are now uh, supporting the president, uh, including Mick Mulvaney, acting chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, um, and many others who are making a difference in Washington uh, in the Trump administration. Now, I want to ask you about your your background in Congress. I know you were on the Committee on Natural Resources, and we've reached this incredible point finally in American history where we are largely a net exporter of oil. And there are a lot of people who say the president could not have taken such a strong stand on Soleimani and the Iran situation had we not gotten to energy independence, of which Wyoming plays a role. It plays a huge role. Wyoming is the largest net exporting state of energy. Uh, And so we're in a position to help uh, the nation uh, when the president takes action against Iran that is necessary, decisive, defensive, and protects American lives. The subject of can we sustain our energy needs uh, without the Middle East is no longer an issue that has to be on the table. We have taken care of that as a nation. And all along, um, I have felt that uh, it was in the, our nation's best national security interests to become energy independent. That has turned out to be true. Congresswoman, I'm sorry, I don't mean to chuckle. A friend of mine is listening to our to, to our conversation. He just texted me and said, she just said Wyoming exports more energy than Texas. The Texans are not going to like this. <laughs> well, it, it is true, though, because Texas consumes a lot of the energy that it produces because uh, it has such a large population. Right. Wyoming has the smallest population in the nation. So we do not consume very much. We send it all out of state uh, for the benefit of the other American people. Well, listen, God bless him for doing this. I just I love this new data point that we have here on energy independence. One of the problems, though, I think we do have as a nation, and I know when you were in Congress, this was an issue that you dealt with, is though we are energy independent, we are increasingly dependent on other countries with our national debts, now over $23 trillion. And it doesn't seem like either party in Congress is serious about tackling this issue. When I left Congress, uh, I went on the board of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, which is a bipartisan group uh, that is concentrating on the effects of this ever-growing debt and deficit uh, on our nation's economy and on our ability to be resilient, just as we are now becoming uh, increasingly 
energy independent. Uh, we need to be financially independent. And the fact that we are reliant upon both our own people and people around the world uh, to buy our debt uh, is alarming. And it should be alarming to more American people. So one of the reasons I want to return to Washington this time in the U.S. Senate is to focus specifically on that issue. Well, in, in my buddy Chip Roy, a congressman from down in Texas, he, he talks about this all the time. He, he installed a debt clock in his office to so everybody can see the debt. And it just it seems like there are a lot of empty promises on all sides these days on how to deal with it. And the Democrat solution is always just to raise taxes and Republicans say they're going to grow the economy out of it. But they keep spending so much. I, I'm I'm starting to wor- I've got a, a 14 year old and an 11 year old and I'm starting to worry about my future grandkids I don't even have yet and what the burden is going to be on them. Well, the burden is going to be enormous if we don't address this. Uh, And furthermore, we put our nation in the position of not having a strong uh, what's called fiat currency, meaning a U.S. dollar that is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. If your kids uh, cannot depend on the United States to be in a position to repay its debts, its currency is going to continue to be devalued. You know, our, our dollar's buying power has declined by one-third in this century alone, uh, these first 20 years. And uh, our dollar doesn't buy as much anymore, and that's in large part because uh, we are no longer financially responsible as a Congress. What would you if you if you got into the Senate? What would you, as a senator, push on this issue to try to bring some sanity back to the process? I would try to garner a group uh, of the fiscal conservatives in the U.S. Senate in both parties, but mostly Republicans. So that means uh, the the Rand Paul, Mike Lee, um, and and many others who are Mike Braun, uh, uh, Josh Hawley. Uh, people who are talking about this issue and making sure that we as a group would go meet with Senator McConnell when big spending bills are coming up and say to him, Senator, this, these are the, I don't know, five, ten things that this group of fiscally conservative Republicans will need to see in a spending package in order to garner our support. And the more of us there are, uh, the better chance we have that Senator McConnell uh, will realize that he needs our votes and these issues to be addressed in a big spending package. Well, best of luck to you in, in that endeavor. I, I, before we we end the conversation, I, I do want to give you a chance really to talk a, a little more about your Senate race. You are the, I'm talking to Cynthia Loomis, if you're just tuning in, who was congresswoman from Wyoming, is now running for the U.S. Senate in Wyoming. You know, the, that, that Senate seat that progressives say Wyoming shouldn't have because of the, the lack of a population, according to them. Uh, and why should people consider voting for you for this position? Wyoming people care about our debt and deficit. They care about the border being porous and insecure. They're ready for us to use this opportunity while President Trump is the president to de-escalate some of the foreign involvements that where we no longer even understand our own mission for being there, such as Afghanistan. We need to reevaluate 
uh, our presence abroad. And at the same time, strengthen America. One of the things that I want to do is go to the U.S. Senate to help drive President Trump's agenda in his second term. When you look at what he's done to roll back regulation, to create jobs, to create employment and opportunity for Americans, we want to continue to emphasize and support his efforts there. And we want to create a judiciary that uh, recognizes its role in America. And that is something that President Trump, working with uh, Republican Senate, has done so well. These are the issues uh, that Wyoming people care about. I believe these are the issues that all of middle America cares about. Uh, and those are the issues I want to be involved in. Uh, this state supports President Trump so strongly. Right. And I want to be there in the U.S. Senate to help drive his agenda. Now, I have to ask you on a personal note. When I went to college, I got a degree in political science and history with a minor in English. And everyone said, oh, that's law school tract. You got a degree in animal science and biology. That's not law school tract. And yet you went to law school. Um, it, there was a seven-year hiatus between my uh, <laughs> College of uh, Ag degrees and my uh, uh, going back to law school. I had run for the Wyoming legislature when I was 23 years old and won, and they put me on the House Judiciary Committee, <laughs> and I became so fascinated with the legal issues uh, that I uh, uh, took a break from being in the state legislature, went back to law school, and then re-engaged legislatively after that. So uh, it was not a track I ever would have anticipated. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw that in your bio, and I just I had to ask you about that. I've I've got a 14 year old right now. I was thinking, Dad, I want to go to law school. I was like, Go do something else in life, and then maybe go to law school. Now I have someone to point to. Well, and I I, I advise that of anyone. It's great to have some life experience before you go back to law school. <laughs> Definitely. So, listen, Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck on your campaign. Uh, can you tell people where they can find out more information about you? Lemus4Wyoming.org. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Cynthia Loomis. Uh, actually, I, I'm I'm texted by a friend who's listening and says uh, she has in the past also said if you call her congressman instead of congresswoman, she's OK with that. Um, Cynthia Loomis. Uh, now, Lynch. Uh, um, 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 gosh, it's not Lynn um, Cheney. Uh, Liz, Liz, Lynn is Lynn's mom, Liz's daughter, may be running. Uh, and a friend of mine reached out. I, I'm friends with with Liz, and a friend of mine reached out and said, "Would you have Cynthia on on your show?" I'm like, "I I love Cynthia Loomis. She was uh, one of the original people who got the House Freedom Caucus guys. Remember, the squishes took over the Republican Study Committee. Uh, the guys who wanted to suck up to Republican leaders took over the Republican Study Committee and suddenly were no longer interested in the budget and finances. And Cynthia Loomis was one of the Republican members who said, we got to go start a new group that actually does care about conservative issues. And she and Mark Meadows and Mick Mulvaney and uh, several others started the House Freedom Caucus. And she decided not to seek reelection in 2016 in Wyoming took some time off, joined some outside groups to raise awareness on the debt, uh, the deficit, and the budget, and is now reengaging in politics, a candidate for the U.S. Senate. Now, I, I realize, listen, we, we are a Georgia show, 
and we're not broadcast yet anywhere outside the state of Georgia. I have long, long-term ambitions for this program, but I also have a website, theresurgent.com, which is kind of a landing page for a lot of conservative activists around the country, and a lot of them listen to the program online. Uh, we had a guy yesterday listening from Albuquerque, New Mexico, but there's also, even though you're in Georgia, and I tell people all the time, seek the welfare of the city in which you're in exile. There you'll find your welfare. Focus on your local government, your local politics, uh, your, your local culture. I know a lot of you also also want to be apprised of candidates nationwide who are good conservatives who are running for office who you can uh, give money to, you can support, you can pray for. Cynthia Loomis is one of those people. Uh, you can get involved with her campaign in Wyoming one way or another uh, through money, through prayer. If you got friends who live in Wyoming, she is a fantastic person, rock solid conservative running for the U.S. Senate, uh, not just to defend the president's agenda, but actually take seriously the fight on spending, which very few people in Congress want to do. She actually has a track record of doing it. She, She got to Congress early on. Republicans invested in her, put her on the Appropriations Committee, and it turns out she didn't like to spend money, and so they booted her from the Appropriations Committee because she was opposing Republican efforts at spending money. That That's quite commendable, um, uh, which, is, which is one reason I think very highly of her. Now, I'm going to go on and step out here. When we come back, we will reset. Uh, we will get back into the Iran situation. The president will be addressing the nation. I will take your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. This hour of the program is sponsored by Dynamic Money. Dynamic Money, that's Chris Burns, who is also a guest host on this program, a friend of mine. He is my wife's and my uh, financial planner advisor. I, You know, it, it, just as an aside here, I, I, I like to do a little little plug for sponsors every once in a while. I, I haven't bragged on Chris enough. Uh, and he's filled in and bragged on me. I, I, I do want to brag on him and what he does. Yeah, So... I years ago, I kept up with my checkbook. I, I balanced my checkbook. I I mean, I, I was great. And over the years, I've gotten so busy in TV and radio and, and writing and running a website. I've just lost the ability. And I, how do you budget getting my wife and I on, on the same game plan? We have a joint checking account. We don't keep separate checking accounts, stuff like that. But it's it's daunting and it stresses me out. It does. And I just got into a world of hurt this past year with Christie's medical bills and stuff. You know, with with cancer, her uh, prescription, thankfully, we've got great insurance and haven't had to spend a lot out of pocket. Otherwise, it's $22,000 a month for her medicine, a month, $22,000. We've got great insurance, thankfully, but then you've got all the, the doctor's visits and the co-pays and the deductibles and stuff, and we just had a ton of credit card debt, and I went to Chris. At Dynamic Money, this is how we got to know each other. I needed somebody. We were going to go to the Dave Ramsey model, and I knew with the way I travel, you know, Dave, nothing nothing wrong with this, but he's very anti-credit card, and I knew I, I, I couldn't really live that lifestyle, per se, uh, given the stuff I do. We had a lot of friends with Dave's model, and uh, Chris actually talked to me, and, and he, he's got, you know, we can do a plan. We can teach you how to budget. We, in the meantime, refinance your house. you got enough equity. You can pay off all your credit cards and then come up with a budget plan to set money aside to pay the medical bills. And, y'all, it has been just peace of mind. And I know a lot of you at the beginning of the year, you're freaking out about money. You're planning your year. You're trying to budget for your year. Uh, you really should check out Dynamic Money. Chris is a friend. Uh, he is a guest host, but he really actually is the guy who have helped give Christy and me peace of mind 
when it comes to finances. And I'm delighted that Dynamic Money sponsors the program uh, and delighted to go through Dynamic Money's program of learning how to take control of my finances. I really used to be good at it, and I don't know what happened, but I'm bad at it right now. Uh, And it's nice to actually have some semblance of sitting down and getting my wife involved. And and he's trying to get me to take the next step. One of the things that he's a big proponent of is that you actually should um, talk to the kids and you actually should bring your kids in with you and you actually should have your kids – have a conversation with you about how much money you actually make. Explain to them this isn't something you go to school and talk about. But, you know, we talked about it on the program here with me is you actually sit down with your kids and you show them, here's how much money daddy makes every month. Now, that sounds great, but here are all of our bills and this is how little money we have left over and we've got to save that money and pay off debts. And suddenly, supposedly, I haven't got there yet because I'm, I'm working up the courage to do with this with my kids. But supposedly what actually happens is then the kids say, hey, uh, you know, maybe we don't need to go to McDonald's today or maybe I don't need that video game. Let's save the money and we'll take a vacation. And I'm, I'm hoping to get my kids to that point. I really am. Uh, so thank you, Dynamic Money. That is more than I intended to say. But uh, if you want that peace of mind, dynamicmoney.com is the website. They're great people. Uh, thank you to them for sponsoring the program. I, I do appreciate it. Um, I want to talk more about the Iran situation that is developing. Uh, the Iranian uh, the Politico has a story out right now. It is just out uh, that the Ayatollah Khomeini is now saying the missile strike is not enough. Uh, but their foreign minister has tweeted that they do not seek escalation. This is from Quint Forgi from Politico. Iran's supreme leader on Wednesday warned that an attack by Tehran against military bases in Iraq housing American troops was not enough of a punishment for the United States. They were slapped last night, but such military actions are not enough, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei said in a televised speech in the holy city of Qom. The corruptive presence of the U.S. in the West Asian region must be stopped. Hours earlier, they launched uh, more than a dozen ballistic missiles targeting at least two Iraqi bases uh, that were hosting U.S. military and coalition personnel. Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps claimed responsibility, which came as retaliation for the president. You know, here's the thing, and, and this is where so much of the media has frustrated me on this. Why did the United States go after Soleimani? Because over the last year, Iraq has launched multiple attacks on U.S. facilities and personnel in Iraq. In the last two weeks of December alone, there were 14 attacks on the United States. In the last week of December, multiple Americans were killed or wounded, including an American contractor in the very last week of of, of the month. The United States responded to that escalation from Iran— And the Iranians tried to storm the American embassy in Iraq. So we took out Soleimani. To say that we're the aggressor is to deny history. It is to deny the last two weeks. And by the way, do you know that the Al-Assad Air Base, it literally comes under attack every month? Someone uh, last night noted the the documented attacks uh, of last year, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. No attacks September, October, and then November and December. Every single month except September and October, uh, Al-Assad Air Base in uh, Iraq came under rocket attack from Iranian-backed groups. This is not something new. 
to say the, the United States escalated it, if anything, the United States was putting Iran back in its place by taking out Soleimani, who was the man responsible for and providing the money for these attacks. It was highly irresponsible, highly irresponsible. Now, Khomeini continued in his statement, the U.S. has caused wars, division, sedition, destruction, and the demolition of infrastructure in this region. Of course, they do this everywhere in the world. This region won't accept the U.S. presence. Governments elected by nations won't accept the presence of the United States. Despite that, the foreign minister insisted that there would be no escalation and they were just defending themselves. Uh, I, again, I'm telling you, there's going to be they're going to do something in a couple of months. I'm sure of it. Uh, just just stay tuned for that. When we come back, the President of the United States will be addressing the nation. We will bring that to you live here on The Eric Erickson Show and take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. I don't even need to read a script for this. Uh, Quip is my sponsor this week for the podcast, and I don't need to read a a script because I'm a user, and I've been a longtime user of Quip. I love Quip. If you don't know what Quip is, it is an uh, electric toothbrush. It only takes just a AAA battery, and they send you the AAA battery, so you don't even have to get a AAA battery. Every three months on a subscription, you can get a new brush head to keep your brush head up to date. It pulses every 30 seconds, so you get an even clean for two minutes in your mouth. It turns itself off. It's just so well-designed, and it's very reasonably priced compared to a lot of toothbrushes out there on the market that compete with it. You can go to getquip.com slash Eric right now. You'll even get your first brush head refill pack for free. So you get your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Eric. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Eric. Get in the healthy habit of brushing your teeth the way your dentist wants. Make it easy by getting a Quip. Quip electric toothbrushes. My wife uses it. I use it. My kids use it. It really is that good. You will like it in your family, and you will make sure you get a great clean. Join 3 million healthy mouths by getting Quip today for just $25 at getquip.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. I am watching... The doors uh, of the White House at the, looks like the hallway there between the East Room and the uh, State Dining Room, waiting for the President of the United States to come out. Uh, He should be out any moment now to address the nation. We will cover this live. Uh, I've got the feed pulled up, and we will get you the president's address to the nation. He is expected to calm the situation. The president is expected to up there. We've got the the warning here for the usher. Uh, The president should be out momentarily. Just check the water supply there to make sure he's got something if he needs it. Uh, The president is expected to to set a, a tone with teleprompter. Uh, by that, I mean he's not expected to really uh, talk off the top of his head on this. He wants to downplay the situation in light of no loss of American lives. He wants to signal that the U.S. military uh, is prepared to engage and will engage and will respond aggressively. The Iranian leader, the Ayatollah Khamenei, has now spoken and said that uh, the initial attack was not good enough. The Americans need to be punished. But then the Iranian foreign minister came out and said that they have no intention of escalating. 
Uh, my suspicion is we will have reporters in the room. It looks like the president is going to address this as a press conference. We'll uh, plan to cover as much of this as we possibly can with the president coming out. Um, and we'll we'll see if they uh, ask the president about uh, ancillary third-party escalation in the Middle East. That seems to be a growing consensus now. It's not just me that we will potentially see some third parties uh, abroad engage uh, with the United States, whether it's Hezbollah or whether it is uh, some of the Iraqi militia groups. There's also al-Shabaab in Africa, which is an al-Qaeda affiliate. It launched attacks that didn't get a lot of American media coverage, but it launched attacks in Kenya against the United States. Several Defense Department personnel over the weekend were killed uh, in those attacks. They were completely unrelated to Soleimani, and everyone was distracted by Soleimani, so it didn't get the coverage that the Soleimani situation did. Now, we know from the 9-11 Commission report that al-Qaeda and Iran had an arm's-length um, dealings because when bin Laden was alive, he did not want his Sunni support in Saudi Arabia to be undermined by having support from Iran. Uh, the Sunnis and the Shiites don't get along. The Saudi Arabians, as a point of national pride, particularly don't like the Iranians. And so while al-Qaeda operatives would go through Iran on their way to Afghanistan to avoid detection, they didn't have formal dealings. That, that situation, there have been rumblings in the past that Iran may seek to work with groups like al-Qaeda that it does not fear, like ISIS. The reason it doesn't fear al-Qaeda is al-Qaeda is not trying to make it a Sunni Islamic state uh, that would be a threat to Iran. Iran, of course, does not like ISIS, but it actually isn't a a huge um, player when it comes to ISIS. They've exaggerated in the media. The American media has exaggerated the role Iran has played in taking out ISIS. Iran has spent much more time just propping up Bashar al-Assad. It's been the Russians who have, in addition to helping Assad, have uh, been fighting ISIS in northern Iraq or northern Syria. Uh, Israel or Iran has launched some missile attacks at them, but really has spent way more time protecting their precious Bashar al-Assad. Uh, they don't like ISIS, though. They're they're willing to cooperate with a group like um, like al-Qaeda or al-Shabaab. I don't know that they will do that. It's speculation on my part, admittedly. But they want to respond still. The Ayatollah has now given a speech saying they want to respond more. That means that they're not going to respond, but Hezbollah and some of these outside groups will very well, very likely respond. Iran has a history of waiting a couple of months and launching a car bomb or some such. Uh, so there's definitely will still be threats to the United States out there. Now, up oh, here comes the the president's staff. Uh has now taken away the initial briefing papers and the initial binder. Uh, the president of the United States should be coming here momentarily uh, through the doors. Uh, there's an American flag and a presidential flag set up, the teleprompter set up, the American military or American media waiting. And uh, the president, essentially, what they do is they have a binder. They keep a binder with a draft of the speech on the podium. When the president comes, they remove that draft speech and binder, and that tends to be the warning that the president is imminent. Uh, it is now 11 after the hour as we continue to wait for the president to come through the doors. This White House notably has rarely actually done these things on time. Uh, this White House notably has uh, tended not to be as precise as even Obama or the 
uh, Bush White House. Uh, George W. Bush was actually very notorious for being on time. If he said he was going to address the nation at 11 o'clock, he addressed the nation at 11 o'clock, and there were always stories about the staff scrambling to get him the latest draft of the speech on his way out the door because if it was 11 o'clock at 10.59, he was headed to where he needed to go give his speech. The other notable thing about this president is, again, this is in the the grand hallway between the East Room and the State Room, uh, State Dining Room in the White House. This president does not like to give Oval Office addresses. Uh, He saves those for very important occasions does not like to to do them, and this yet again, he's declining to do an Oval Office address. He believes that there is an, an import to an Oval Office address uh, that is something like this does not have. Uh, now, if I sound like I'm rambling, that's because I am, and the reason is I don't want to pivot to a new topic when the president's about to address. Now, for local affiliates, uh, some of you who are listening, I am going to cover the president when he starts speaking, and I realize my feed is probably about 30, 40 seconds delayed uh, the way we have to process it through our studio. When he starts speaking, I'm going to cover it. We, I will drag out my break as long as I can, waiting to get to commercial break, but we will have a commercial break we're going to have to take here. We'll jump back into the president's speech until the bottom of the hour uh, when we've got to shake up our programming. Uh, some local stations will drop out of the show and go straight to it. In the meantime, I am also willing to take your phone calls at 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. What's notable is the president has been on the phone this morning with various world leaders. Uh, Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, has actually been voicing support for what President Trump did. Uh, The Germans have not been publicly supportive, but they have privately, I am told, been supportive of taking out uh, Soleimani. And privately, from what uh, people in Washington are saying, the president and others have confirmed there was enough intelligence to justify the Soleimani attack. Now, one thing you do need to understand is that uh, congressmen began being briefed this morning at 9 o'clock on the threat. There was some lingering skepticism among Democrats that there really wasn't enough out there to justify the attack on Soleimani. And I think it is notable that we're not hearing from a bunch of Democrats coming out and complaining. One of the criticisms of the president is that he didn't brief Congress beforehand, that he did not even go to congressional leaders, uh, House and Senate leaders, Democrat and Republican, and advise them of what he was going to do. They did not give background briefings or intelligence briefings to members of Congress uh, on those intelligence committees. The White House response, and they don't want to say this publicly. They're okay with. It. I'm not. I'm not telling you something you can't find out. I'm not telling you something that's not going to be out there. But it's not. It's. It's very much not something they're going to go out there and and loudly say, even if they quietly say it. They did not trust that members of Congress could keep their mouths shut with what was coming. They did not trust that some Democrats might seek to uh, undermine the president. They did not trust that the Democrats may take the knowledge and try to preemptively spin it into an impeachment saga. And that is currently the talking point out there right now among Democrats is that this was all a talking point uh, by the White House and it was all done to overshadow impeachment. That's problematic. Now, uh, here's what I want to do for good clock management as we're still waiting for the president. This will ensure that he comes out and speaks. I want to go on and take my commercial break. 
so that when the president does come out, uh, I I can just carry him mid-sentence. And I guarantee you, by me taking a commercial break, that will finally give the president incentive to come out and talk. Because you and I both know he's standing in there listening to my show, so I might as well go out. Um, what we will do here, let's see, I, I got to pot down all sorts of stuff to be able to do this because I got the CNN feed up. Yes, we'll go to break. We'll come back. We'll see if the president's speaking. Well, I had intended to cover the president's speech live today, but it is uh, 20 after the hour and the president of the United States was supposed to address the nation at 20 before 20 minutes before now at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, I continue to keep my eye on the door of the uh, room that he's coming out of into the White House to address the nation. The press corps is assembled and he has not yet begun to speak. Uh, This is somewhat par for the course. One of the things that uh, goes on behind the scenes as they're doing this is the president likes to go over his remarks. Uh, They are prepared typically by staffers and then the president works to put them in his own words and Uh, try to make it sound very much more like himself. And the competing tension there in this White House in particular is to also make sure that the president doesn't say something that he shouldn't say to either give away intelligence by accident or to uh, sound more bellicose than the tone the White House wants to set. They do not want to set a bellicose tone uh, in the speech that the president is going to give today. They want to, uh, to some degree, ratchet down the rhetoric uh, and give the president uh, give us a sense of what's happening. Looks like the camera positions are now being checked uh, there to get the president to come in. Uh, he should be in here any second. And uh, just full disclosure as well, I am running on about a minute delay from what everybody else gets. Uh, so if you're watching TV, you may actually see him speaking before I can get to him because of the way we have to process it uh, over the series of tubes known as the Internet in the studio that I am in today. I'm, I'm up in Atlanta and got a family situation to deal with as well. Well, CNN, let's see, has stepped out to take a commercial timeout. Uh, that is the feed I am watching. So I guess they get the signal that the president may not be coming uh, to speak. We will find out here momentarily as we wait with bated breath for the president of the United States. Now, uh, the other thing you need to know that's going on is that Mike Pence has been an intermediary for the president when it comes to this last night as the American intelligence got uh, an idea that the missiles were being launched. The vice president began making phone calls to members of Congress. Nancy Pelosi was actually at a Democratic event. They sent her a note telling her the vice president was calling. She said she'd call him back, and a few minutes later, they... uh, Uh, signaled to her that the missiles had been going. American intelligence expected Iran to do something and so was monitoring the Iranian situation. They could see that the missiles were being placed and they could see the missiles were being set up to launch. Uh, We had satellite intelligence uh, to be able to, to show us this, that it was going to happen. So we knew. Now, a lot of people are asking why we didn't strategically bomb and take out those missiles before they launched. And it was not uh, deemed by the United States to be a strategic necessity to do that. Now, one of the funny things that happened yesterday is the Pentagon let people go home early. There was supposed to be a big snowstorm, a polar vortex in Washington, D.C. So they were sending people home and... 
there were not a lot of public affairs officials at the Pentagon last night when the missiles were launched to be able to respond to the media. Now, that doesn't mean that the Pentagon was asleep at the switch. There were people there monitoring the situation. Those were not just those just were not public facing people. Um, all right. It looks like they have brought out the revised binder of the president's remarks, uh, which means he should be ready to go here. Note to local stations that are airing me. I, I afraid I got a family situation I've got to deal with. And so at the bottom of the hour, uh, I, we're going to have to will will t- deal with it. But I'm not going to be able to continue to carry the president's um, speech live. At the bottom of the hour, uh, it looks like, though, he should be walking through the doors now any second because they have now placed revised remarks for him, which means, interestingly enough, that there have been substantial drafts done to the speech that they took away the placeholder. They brought the new speech that tends to mean that the reason for the president's delay here at 25 past the hour is that the president wanted to change his remarks in some way substantive uh, to reflect better speech new content. We'll find out what that content is here in a moment. Everyone is, I, I've got the news feeds up for all the different networks. Everyone basically has a camera on the door waiting for the president to walk through. I'll shut up when the president walks through. I do want to be able to carry the president's remarks here. What a fascinating dynamic here. Um, any moment now, it looks like the president will be coming through the door. I'm beginning to get the text alerts uh, from those who are not on the TV delay that the president has begun speaking. Um, and that means that any second now here with me, I'll be able to overcome this delay and we'll be able to hear the president and his remarks. And again, one of the things I've got from people this morning in Washington trading text messages with people is that the president wants to come out and look leaderly. He knows he's not going to get any credit from the media for this. In fact, much of the media is blaming him for escalating the situation. And so he's going to be the responsible statesman in his remarks. He, they're going to be on teleprompter. It's not going to be the president talking off the top of his head here. It's going to be the president of the United States serving as the commander in chief, advising the public and the Congress through his speech exactly what happened last night. And we will get a hint of American response. Uh, Essentially, the president is expected to say that we will monitor the situation and are prepared to launch an aggressive response if need one, if one need to be taken, but that the aggressive response does not necessarily need to be taken. Uh, it is twenty, almost 27 after the hour now, and everyone is still geared up for the president. Everyone is doing what I'm doing. If, if you've ever wondered about this, everyone continues to talk, spilling their guts with all the stuff they know while the president, uh, while they wait for the doors to open for the president to come out. There's really nothing you can do. If you go to a commercial break and the president starts speaking, well, then you got a problem. Well, now here come the here's the vice president, the secretary of state, the secretary of defense, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and others now assembling here at 27 after the hour uh, for this speech to begin. There I see Kellyanne Conway now coming. Mark Short is coming. Uh, The president's top deputies are assembled now for the president. Uh, to come out now, you've got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Joint Chiefs of Staff sitting at the back, the vice president, the secretary of state, and the secretary of defense up front. The presidential staff is now standing to the side. Mark Short, the vice president's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, the president's chief of staff, Kellyanne Conway, the president's advisor, have all come out. I will take as much of the speech as I can till the bottom of the hour. Uh, we are still waiting for the president to come through All of the staff now have been assembled. They have filed through the side door. 
Uh, and we now just await the president of the United States. I'm going to tune in here to the CNN feed, see if we can get a sense of what's going on well, it here. Does, and it shows you that they all understand the weight of this moment. And it is a moment when a president can, to state the obvious, behave like Well, let's see if we can get a stable feed. It, 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 assume, it appears that everybody and their mother is now tuning into these feeds. And when he can show that he has a clear Here comes the president of the United States right policy, now. And here he is. And here we have president of the United States to address the nation and the world. As long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. I'm pleased to inform you the American people should be extremely grateful and happy. No Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime. We suffered no casualties. All of our soldiers are safe, and only minimal damage was sustained at our military bases. Our great American forces are prepared for anything. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. No American or Iraqi lives were lost because of the precautions taken, the dispersal of forces, and an early warning system that worked very well.